0: Okay, so when Cruel Intentions hit theaters, you know, that sordid prep school flick about two step-siblings who literally screw with their innocent classmates, parents took the movie's R rating very seriously. So did theaters. Some theaters even hung up special signs. No one under 17, especially for Cruel Intentions. But what's ironic is Cruel Intentions is the rare teen sex movie where none of the girls get naked. Seriously, the only topless person is Ryan Philippe. That's because writer-director Roger Cumble wanted to be a good guy. He didn't want to be a creep who wheedled Sarah or Selma Blair or Reese Witherspoon or even any of the not-so-famous actresses into taking off their shirts. But he figured he'd have to get in some nudity, so he hired a porn star to play a cheerleader who oils herself up for Ryan Philippe's delight. But... When the triple-X actress showed up on set, she refused to wear clothes. Like, off-camera. She strutted up to the snack table in fishnets. Only fishnets, which made the director groan, now I'm like the pig in front of all the women on the crew. It was a no-good-deed situation. Kind of like the movie he wrote. And then, to cap all of this off, the scene got cut. Because let's face it, life is cruel. Even accidentally. Hi, I'm Amy Nicholson, Chief Film Critic for MTV News, and welcome to Skillset, the podcast where every guest is an expert, and every week they teach you and me a new way to look at the movies. Today is a special episode of our season long salute to high school movies. We're going to hail the queen of 1990s high school movie nostalgia future Oscar winner Reese Witherspoon. Reese single-handedly showed that teen flicks have tremendous range. She's a sunny blonde who specialized in movies that were really, really, really dark, even when she kept smiling. I love Reese because she captured the innocence and danger of being an age when almost adults learn the hard way that their decisions have grown up consequences. First up, in honor of Reese's fantasy Pleasantville, where she plays a modern teenager shipped back to a perfect or perfectly repressed small 1950s town, we called up a guy that you are going to love. His name is Carter Cook, and he is a real-life modern teenager who grew up in the real-life Pleasantville, where the movie threw its premiere. Then, let's get into Reese's thriller Fear and talk about the all-too-common problem of abusive high school romances with Tatsumi Romano, member of the National Youth Advisory Board for LoveIsRespect.org. Finally, let's go back to the future with Reese's agonizingly prescient comedy, Election, in which an overachieving, brainiac, blonde politician battles a country, I mean a school, that just wants to see her fail. Sound familiar? MTV News editor Taylor Trudon sure thought so, so he sat down and tried to figure out where director Alexander Payne got his time machine, and why he didn't warn us. That's all in this week's Wither Special episode of Skillset. (music) Lately, we have been talking a lot about making America great again. But we kind of always have. You know, because whenever people get nervous that the modern world is too modern... They romanticize that small town, retro America, where everyone goes to the same church, everyone celebrates the same holidays, and the local soda jerk knows your name. The thing is, this bigotten paradise was always fiction, and never more so than the 1999 dramedy Pleasantville, when Reese Witherspoon played this shallow 90s teenager who got sent back into a black-and-white 1950s TV show where life is so perfect that firemen spend their days rescuing cats from trees. Oh, and teenagers do not have sex. But Reese is not one for rules. There are 11 towns named Pleasantville in America, but only one was deemed pleasant enough to host the movie's premiere. That is Pleasantville, Iowa, a town that was literally founded for the cost of $30 and a horse, and today is home to 1,694 people. Let's meet one of them eighteen year old lifetime resident Carter Cook, and ask him what it was like growing up, perfectly American so Carter, you were born in nineteen ninety eight the year that Pleasantville came out. When did you first know that there was a movie set in your town?
1: um I don't know if there has ever been like a specific time that I remember like knowing that there was a movie um in our like local coffee shop uptown coffee shop uptown there is Um, a big movie marquee and it has the Pleasantville billboard on it. Um, and so I guess I was always just like cognizant of the fact that we had a movie. What did you think? Um, very interesting. I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's like Pleasantville in some ways, but not really.
0: Well, let's talk about that. How big is Pleasantville? Like, how many, how many kids did you go to school with?
1: Um, there's 1800-ish, I think, in our town. So it's a pretty small community. You know everyone in town. Like I can walk down the street and say hi to um, almost anyone that I see, just because we're in such a small town that everyone knows each other and it's pretty close knit, which is pretty cool.
0: Does it look anything like the Pleasantville of the movie?
1: Uh, no. It's pretty small, just like a downtown. They have a little square that has like some park benches and some trees, um, and around the square we have a bank, a doctor's office, um, our city hall, a restaurant. Um, a grocery store, a law office, and then um, just like down the block there's like more shops and there's a coffee shop and a pizza um, shop and a haircut place. Um, So there's a lot of small locally like family owned shops.
0: So real life Pleasant- Pleasantville, how different is it from the Pleasantville in the movie? Because the movie Pleasantville is set in 1958 and it's all about Small town values, traditions, it's very conservative. At the high school, there's a lot of banned books. Were there banned books and things in your school? How conservative was it?
1: Um, no, not really. I mean, there definitely is the small town family values, and you're in a small town in the Midwest, and so there is a lot of conservativeness, like conservative aspects to it. It's not like we're as sheltered as it is in that movie. We're just normal people, and we have normal things. It's just a small-town, quaint feel, I guess.
0: When you talk to your parents or grandparents, do you feel like the Pleasantville they lived in was like the movie, or that it's changed a lot over the years?
1: Um, yes and no. I'd say it was... I mean, there were, like, aspects of it that were like the movie, because it was obviously, like, older, and so it was more conservative, and... um Different aspects of like the downtown and like shops and whatnot uh, where the same I and mean, were different, but um, a lot of the same traditions that the town has, we still have. Um, we're a town that is very dead set in traditions. The most well known tradition that we have um, is called it's our alumni, and so. It's actually, like, most schools, like, if you graduate from that school, if like you're part of their alumni association. In um, Pleasantville, to be a part of the alumni association, you have to go through a week of initiation. Um, and so guys dress up as girls, and girls dress up as guys. And there's a different theme, like, each year. Um, and it's just kind of a week of just silly games and different things that you do downtown, in the square, out in front of everybody. Um, and it's just kind of like your last um, big hurrah with your class. And it's the last time you'll see a lot of those people for quite some time. So it's really fun. Um, and that tradition's been going on since, I believe, 1901.
0: So you spent a whole week getting to play dress-up and just going nuts. What were you wearing this year?
1: Um, we were the Jetsons. And so we were the the daughters. And then the girls were the sun. And so we all had to wear blonde wigs and pink dresses and high heels and makeup and all kinds of stuff. Were you pretty? (laughs) I don't know. I don't really think really any of us guys really looked pretty. We did the best we could. But when it's 95 degrees outside and you're wearing a dress and a wig, you get pretty sweaty pretty quick. And that was gross.
0: Wait, I'm wrapping my head around the idea that Pleasantville is a movie about a town where people live in the past, but in the real life Pleasantville, you just spent a week dressing up as people from the future. <laughs> you, Pleasantville kind of sounds like a fun place to live then. I mean, was there any tension between the older generation and the kids?
1: No, not really. I wouldn't say tension. I'd say my generation and maybe the generation above me, um, they definitely would like to see some more change and like see like new things come into the town. But no, for the most part, we're really just a pretty close-knit community, and that's what I, I love Pleasantville, and I can't imagine living anywhere else um, when I grow up and raise a family just because there's these small-town values that you get that I just don't know if you can get them anywhere else. Especially being from a pretty agriculturally-centered community, um, you have a good sense of work ethic, and you know, Uh, what you have to get done and everyone will pitch in to help to get the job done. I worked at the coffee shop downtown and I just have elderly people come in and they just sit there and talk for hours and I think that's just something that um, is really unique about our town is that everyone is just kind to one another and whether you've talked to them before in your life or not, you can sit down and have a conversation with them and it just feels normal because everyone has those same values, I guess.
0: You know what I think is really interesting is um, there are 11 cities named Pleasantville in America, but the movie decided specifically to make this your Pleasantville, Pleasantville, Iowa. Why do you think that is?
1: I really don't know. I haven't been to any other Pleasantvilles in America, and so I can't really tell you what they're like, but I think with what they were going for in this movie... It does kind of match up with our town, but it's a quaint, small town with very deep, small town values. There's just really not any other place like our town. And so I think when they were wanting to make this movie, that this, our town probably just best fit what they were looking for.
0: Does Pleasantville have a motto?
1: It's Pleasantville. The name says it all. <laughs> That's what the sign says.
0: Well, Carter, this has been so pleasant, so thank you for talking to us today. Absolutely. That was Pleasantville resident Carter Cook. I am sure the town is sorry to see him go, but all of us here at MTV wish him the best freshman year. I am just going to spit this out right now. My first serious high school boyfriend was kind of a bad dude. I stuck with it because I didn't know what love looked like when it was healthy. And that's kind of a pretty common story. Because when you grow up watching movies, you think any guy who comes on strong and passionate is a prince. And in the thriller Fear, Reese Witherspoon learns that lesson the hard way when her dream boyfriend Mark Wahlberg turns out to be possessive and manipulative and dangerous. Sure, her family and friends try to warn her, but that just ends up pushing her closer to him. 18-year-old actress and advocate Tatsumi Romano is on the National Youth Advisory Board for LoveIsRespect.org, a group that tries to help high schoolers learn what good relationships look like. Let's talk to her about Fear, a movie that people should keep watching today for the important conversation it starts. So, Tatsumi... One of the things I think is really interesting in fear is it has this idea that bad boyfriends like Mark Wahlberg don't just show up looking and acting bad. They can be charming. And that charming is one tool that people who might end up being abusive have. They don't just look like bad guys. Yeah, I think there
2: are definitely uh, warning signs that show up later on in relationships. Um, relationships can start out can start out even healthy um, and, you know everyone's happy and then warning signs can start to show up later on and um, I think this movie is a really great example of how you know physical sexual and emotional abuse can
0: arise in a relationship even when it's not evident from the start yeah what are the signs in here that you think are, are warnings to look out for or signs that you've also seen here that strike you as really true things that also happen in real life In terms of physical
2: abuse, uh, definitely David's violence towards Gary um, and sort of his lack of consideration physically and emotionally of others. David constantly checking in on Nicole and, you know, looking for her, finding her whereabouts. Um, This is another sign of an abusive relationship. And in terms of the sexual abuse, definitely David and his friends' habit of taking
0: advantage of girls despite not having consent. It's true, and there's even that moment, very early on, when he's still acting sweet, when he says, "Nicole, get me a coke," and he orders her around. And that's the first time you see her dad give him a look. Like, is that how you talk to
2: my daughter? I noticed that it, that moment exactly too, and I think that definitely stands out to the audience as you know the first time where we see sort of his demanding,
0: selfish nature. Now, what's interesting is you have this idea here that. When you are young, maybe you don't know what love looks like. If you don't have a lot of exp- a lot of experience, you might think a guy who's so controlling is just showing he loves you. I think often young
2: people think of love as um, their partner being super protecting and controlling, and um, they view that passion and intensity of the relationship as love. When in reality, um, the constant checking in and growing nature of the aggression physically and emotionally
0: um, can turn unhealthy very quickly. One of the things I think is really interesting in fear as well is that there might, people might have this idea that women don't leave because they're weak, but Reese Witherspoon's character actually tries to leave him the very first time he hits her friend. What obstacles do you see that keep people from leaving for good?
2: Yeah, I hear that question a lot. Um, why don't? people just leave um and there are so many reasons why people can feel stuck in these type of these types of unhealthy relationships recently love is respect actually covered how religion can be tied into it um an instance of a woman who believed divorce was a sin and that kept her in the relationship. Um, And sometimes, obviously, it's not at all tied to religion. Um, It can be a a result of financial dependency, um, the abuser threatening their partner. There are many reasons why people might stay in a relationship and it's never black and white.
0: It's true. And what we see here is that you know, Wahlberg seems to legitimately really care about Reese Witherspoon, and when he says he's sorry, he sounds sincere. I mean, I don't think I noticed this the first time I watched it, but you think that Wahlberg maybe doesn't know what love looks like either, and he doesn't know what to do. Like, I wonder, what does someone do if they watch Fear, and they feel more like the Wahlberg character? They're, wo- they're worried that they're the controlling one, and they want to be healthier in a relationship.
2: That's really interesting. Um, I think that definitely talking about it and getting help is my number one advice. I think, you know, people who abuse are not necessarily intentionally abusing someone. They could be doing it um, without knowledge or it could be, you know, a natural pro- progression like we saw in fear. But I think if the either character resonates with someone they should definitely reach out to an organization like love is respect and talk to someone from an outside perspective to see you know to evaluate the situation and see what what exactly is going on and what can be
0: fixed how do you feel about the character of Reese Witherspoon's dad like he, he seems like he's trying so hard to help her but is he helping her in the right way
2: there are pros and cons of the way that Reese Witherspoon's dad got involved. I think it was definitely good how he took a stand and expressed to his daughter, you know, I, I don't like this guy. I don't think he's good for you. Um, and sort of the went into a little bit about the traits about him that he didn't really like. I think what could have been better is... Um, having an open discussion with someone who knows a little bit more about teen relationships and dating violence in general just to give Witherspoon's character sort of outside information and see if she can make the connections between her relationship and unhealthy relationships
0: in general. What's unusual is I think Hollywood, even though the stereotype that is a stereotype because it is more often true than not, is abusive males and girls who are the victim— What's unusual about Hollywood is more, they make more movies about crazy women, movies like Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct and Allie Larder and Obsessed. What's going on with that? In terms of
2: statistics, the rate for girls being a victim of uh, teen dating violence is higher, but boys and men being the victim of dating violence is not at all rare. It happens It happens, you know, almost as much, but um, I think in... Interesting statistic to point out is 1.5 million high school students in the U.S. experience physical abuse in one year. So every year, one and a half million students, boys and girls, experience abuse. So it's not really limited to a specific gender or type of relationship.
0: That is a huge number. And I'm thinking as you said that, you know, fear is an older movie. It's two decades old. We're due for something like this. What kind of a movie would you like to see to try to reach out to high school students who are wondering if they're in a relationship that's healthy? I'd like to
2: see a movie that explores the, you know, rawness and challenges of being in an abusive relationship and how detrimental that can be, but also show audiences how they can, you know, get help and reach out in a healthy way. Um I think a movie that shows Active adults, active parents, working collectively towards a common goal of making sure young people are safe in their relationships,
0: that's a movie I would like to see. What do you think about the movie Twilight? I think I've heard an argument that Twilight is on the scale of potentially a troubling relationship. I think there's a line between
2: um, caring for someone, loving someone, and being infatuated or obsessed with someone— and I think Twilight kind of blurs the lines a little bit in the relationship depicted. Um, again, I think we often see love as, especially as teens, as some sort of passion-filled um, relationship where someone feels helpless and incomplete without someone, when in reality, um, I like to think of it as two cups of water and, um, One cup is one person, the other cup's another person. And instead of them being half and half, they should both be full and coming together to make something greater instead of
0: trying to complete each other. That is a lovely image. Well, Tatsumi, thank you so much for talking to me today. This has been really, really important. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That was Tatsumi Romano of loveisrespect.org, sticking up for all women and men of all ages who are still learning how to tell if this thing that feels like love is actually love. When Alexander Payne made election in 1999, audiences thought he'd made a film about a former president named Bill Clinton, who got locked into a crazy three-way campaign against George H.W. Bush and Ross Perot in 1992. Instead, Alexander Payne is an evil warlock who saw into the present and made election about the so-insane-it-feels-like-fiction 2016 presidential race, with future president hopefully, Hillary Clinton transplanted onto the body of Reese Witherspoon's Tracy Flick, an overachiever with a blonde bob who can't believe that she is facing serious competition from a dark horse candidate who just wants to burn down the establishment. And that is just the beginning of the brain-exploding parallels between election in 99 and election today. So, with one week to go before our country's fate is decided forevermore, I needed to talk about election, like vent about election, with MTV's own brilliant overachiever, editor Taylor Trudon, who was named one of the most influential young women of 2015 by Teen Vogue. She and I have got to figure out if our culture has gotten any less threatened by powerful females. So Taylor, you and I rewatched Election this week, a movie that came out in 1999. 17 years have gone by, Oh, my God. Was this movie made in a time machine about this year in this presidential election? Because I was watching that and just absolutely losing my mind.
3: I was floored by how many parallels that there were. I was not expecting it at all. And it was crazy. Just even from like the get go, just the first opening scene, it was like, whoa. Whoa. One of the things that I wrote when I was watching the movie was Mr. McAllister, the teacher played by Matthew Broderick. He says in the beginning, it's hard to remember how the whole thing started, this whole election mess. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I am constantly saying that. My colleagues and friends are constantly saying that, like, how did this all start? And, yeah, that was like the the epitome of it all.
0: Yeah. How did the election become the only thing that I think has been coursing through my veins for the last eight months? Yeah, I keep thinking in my head two years ago, I was like, "Oh, I'm really looking forward to the presidential election. That was always really fun and fascinating. And now I'm like, this is the longest cloud of doom I have ever lived under.
3: Yeah, and it's very crazy just to think. I remember being like, it's a year away. It's nine months. It's six months. And now it's literally
0: one week away. Okay, so let's zoom in on Tracy Flick. Tracy Flick, played by Reese Witherspoon, has the Hillary Clinton bob that Mm -hmm. she had when she was in office with Bill. She has the hyper-motivated attention to detail, has so many things she wants to get done, perfectionist, work-hard streak that I respect and that the men in this movie, especially the Matthew Broderick character you mentioned, cannot stand. This movie is so much about white men and misogyny hating a competent woman. It's mind-blowing. And what what is so funny to me about Election is that you're kind of supposed to watch this movie and be like, oh, Matthew Broderick, he's kind of right. Look how Mm -hmm. annoying that girl is for being so good at her job. Right. It
3: was interesting and also frustrating to see. And then one of the things that Tracy says is that ambitious women have to work twice as hard. And I was like, hell yes, (laughs) when I heard that, because it's like, how could there be anything more true? And it's throughout the entire movie up to when she's running to the election itself.
0: It's so true. I mean, I think watching this is such a great example of why a great movie can become great over time you know when you watch a movie again and your opinions about it change Mm -hmm. because I think I remember watching this and being like god Tracy Flick I would hate to have her in my high school (laughs) and now I'm like Tracy Flick will you be our president can you just do anything like take, take take control of this life
3: it's so funny that you said that because when I watched the movie which is when I was in high school I think that's the first time I remember being like I love Tracy because I related to her because I was like classic goody two-shoes overachiever. And I was like, yeah, like I would vote for Tracy, but it was more just like I related to her, even though I wasn't as intense, it was that ambitious go-getter attitude. And now through this different lens, I watch it and I'm just like, wow, like I would still want to be friends with her, but more so, yeah, I would want her to run shit. Like she knows what she's doing. I don't want her to be my friend. I want her to be the boss.
0: Yeah, so what happens in election is that Tracy Flick, the perfectly wonderful, amazing candidate, gets her assumed coronation derailed by the entrance of a brother and sister pair, the Metzgers, Mm -hmm. uh, who decide to enter the election. One of them on the guise of thinking like, well, somebody has to spoil this. He's being pushed by a teacher to try to derail uh, Tracy's election. And the other one, his younger sister, Tammy Metzger, who's only joining the race because she's mad at her brother. And Tammy Metzger... She's Trump, right? I mean, Tammy Metzger gets up to the election campaign speech and she just starts screaming, like, don't vote for me. Don't vote at all. Who cares? Burn Mm -hmm. it down. I mean, there's just something in that Tammy speech she gives that is shades of Trump for sure. And also maybe a little bit of Bernie of this idea that people are so sick of what's happening in politics. They just want to destroy the entire system.
3: Yeah, I definitely got those Bernie vibes now that you mention it. And she said, or she rather, she asked her student body, is the election going to actually change anything? And it got me to thinking because I had written a column about this last week, but, you know, we're going to wake up on November 9th, the day after the election. We're going to have a new president that's going to be inaugurated in January. Is this going to change anything? And I think it comes back to it could, but then again, it might not. Because for many of our readers, for many young people especially, they're still going to be living in the same towns, and the same communities, going to the same schools. And the biggest, direct, most impactful things that are going to happen to them are through local politics. So at the end of the day, that's where it kind of matters. And I think it leaves a couple of questions in terms of what's next, regardless of who gets elected president.
0: I wonder if Hillary Clinton has watched this movie. I mean, Barack Obama told Alexander Payne that it was his favorite political film of all time. What? Yeah. That's amazing. Can you imagine being Alexander Payne and being like, oh, man, Mr. President, that's like Uh, the coolest compliment? That is the coolest compliment. But you know, one of the things in this movie that actually freaked me out is, you know, how the election plays out. Tracy Flick wins, Mm -hmm. but then Matthew Broderick takes a vote away so that she loses. This is an election. That is the word that we are terrified of right now. Rigged. Exactly. And just the
3: fact that,
0: you know, even before he
3: took away a vote when one of the students was counting them up and it was one vote difference between Paul and Tracy. So again, it was like this neck and neck tie and it's kind of what we're experiencing right now where it's anybody's game, doesn't matter. Could go
0: either way. You know what's so weird about Election 2 is I feel like whenever I think of this movie, I forget that this is a movie about something incredibly 2016. It's kind of about sexual harassment that Tracy Flick... Slept with one of her teachers, and that it starts off with her teacher bragging to Matthew Roderick, her pussy gets so wet you won't believe it. It's eerie. It's crazy. Like I, I,
3: it's an exact replica of Trump and all the disgusting and disheartening comments that he's been making throughout this whole election cycle. I know. If the bragging and the everything,
0: you're so right. Like if there's one thing that gives mm-hmm. me hope, it's that watching this movie now. I think everybody would be like, oh, that is not okay. This is dark. We have come a long way in mm-hmm. how we think it's okay to treat a girl. It's weird that this was funny in 1999.
3: It's really weird. And what's also interesting, too, is that the teacher ultimately got fired. And Trump is still running. He suffered no consequences, where at least the teacher lost his job. God, at least the fiction got it right. I know. Kind mm-hmm. of. Kind of. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs>
0: At least the movie has a happy ending for Tracy. She does get elected. She does become a political figure. You get to mm-hmm. see this flash forward of her like carrying suitcases mm-hmm. and getting into the back of a car with a coffee and looking all badass. But because this movie is still through the eyes of Matthew Broderick, it ends with him just being like she's going to ruin the world. Women like that are going to ruin this for everybody.
3: Which is kind of a sad note to end it on. You know, it was kind of this empowering scene as you mentioned with her with her coffee and following this congressional dude into the car or whoever he was this man of power thinking like oh she did it like she got through school she chased her dream go Tracy and then you know it ends with him throwing what was that ice cream at the car and (laughs) running away
0: like a wimp (laughs) is that the 1999 version of Twitter I
3: guess (laughs) Like, except he didn't have the balls to even, like, call her out. He just, like, yeah, he didn't even call her out. He just ran. <laughs> you are a troll, did.
0: Matthew Broderick. He is
3: a troll. Um, Kind of on a different note, maybe I'm cr- just crazy for thinking this, but thinking of the character of Paul, I got these, like, Mike Pence slash Tim Kane vice presidential vibes. Whoa, the Chris Klein character? Yes, because on one hand, he was very, like, like um tim king kind of like the dad and that he was kind of like oof, and like i just want to hang and be nice and like be everybody's friend but then he was also super religious like mike pence so i felt kind of like an interesting character melding when it came to
0: him you're right like he's that figure mm-hmm. is what politics was always kind of supposed to look like most of the time we grew up right i mean for better and worse like the generic, likable white guy always wins. Right. The one who doesn't say anything that offensive. Right. And keeps his head clean and is nice enough. Mm-hmm.
3: And that's what he was—just like this nice enough dude. He was pretty
0: harmless. Who You're knows? Right. Mm. That makes perfect sense that Matthew Broderick would be like, "You're the default." Yes. Or that both Trump and Hillary would be like, "You're our default. Mm-hmm. Back us up. You're our cornerman." Yep. So what do we do about the Matthew Brodericks of the world? Hmm. <sighs>
3: What can we do? There's always going to be Matthew Broderick's, I think. I think what's important is to call them out on their bullshit and hold them accountable because that's what this campaign has lacked a lot of, accountability.
0: Then maybe that is the ultimate happy ending of watching election in 2016, is that even if we didn't know the Matthew Broderick's of the world were wrong back then, we know they are now. Exactly. Well, Taylor, Thank you for coming in here to talk election with me. Thank
3: you. I enjoyed re-watching this so much. And now I just want to go down a Reese Witherspoon rabbit hole of movies tonight.
0: Well, you're in luck. That's this episode. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> that was MTV's own Taylor Trudon on the Hillary Clinton documentary Election. The one thing that keeps me sane this year is imagining all the movies we're going to see about the 2016 race in the year 2022. 2022. I am so glad Taylor could join us for this week's episode of skillset. And I am so glad you could join us too. I am Amy Nicholson accepting Reese Witherspoon gifts on Twitter at the Amy Nicholson subscribe to skillset on iTunes or your favorite pod catcher. And if you liked getting nerdy with us today, give us a rating and tune in again next week for a new batch of experts, including Mark Duplass recovering teenage romantic, and hopefully, a new, new way to look at the movies.
1: This episode of Skillset was produced by Michael Catano, Mukta Mohan, Kasia Mihailovich, and James T. Green for the MTV Podcast Network with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts.